of a franchise. This is episode 23, Spider-Man 3 from 2007. I'm your host, Michael Parker, and welcome to Spider Season. Hopefully you've already heard me over on High School Slumber Party discussing Spider-Man Homecoming with Brian and Kyle of Foodie Films. And after listening to this episode, stay tuned, because this Friday, over on High School Slumber Party, we will be talking about the latest installment of the Spider franchise, Far From Home. But before we get to all that, I do a little thing on the show here called No Part 3. It's kind of like a show within a show. So now, without any further ado, No Part 3. No, 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 no. Part 3. Today on No Part 3, I'll be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man 3 and what never was. I recall there being huge plans to bust the Sony Spider-Verse wide open with Amazing Spider-Man 3 by introducing the Sinister Six, possibly in their own film first, but then coming together to take on Spider-Man. There was also a lot of loose threads about Peter's parents and his dad and that he might still be alive. And then the Sony email hack put most of those plans on hold, eventually forever. And now Sony and Marvel... Disney are in a new age of Spider-Man where they share the IP and each benefit tremendously. And Spider-Man is in the MCU to stay. That'll do it for No Part 3. No, 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 no. Part 3. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, we can get down to business. So make sure you have plenty of web fluid, because we're about to swing into action. <laughs> This is a year before Iron Man premiere, so we're not even in the point of superhero movies where we've reached the MCU yet. We are here tonight talking about 2007's Spider-Man 3 by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire. <laughs> and Franco is in here. I mean, this is a crazy cast. And my guest tonight is my unofficial co-host of the year. He's been on so much that I have just... He's gone from wrestling consultant to unofficial co-host, Brian Slumber Party Rodriguez. Welcome back. Welcome back. I feel like I live here. Basically do. You have your... <laughs> you have slung a web a web hammock in the attic. I hear you creeping around up there. At the third floor. <laughs> Brian, thank you for joining me tonight here for Spider-Man 3. Why don't you... Tell the listeners, you know, lately we just had our giant prom crossover. We just went to prom. We went to three prom together. <laughs> Let's just take a minute here. How are you feeling about all that? How How is that, how's that settled? Not only did we go to prom together, but then we went to the graduation party together for our Can't Hardly Wait episode. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so it's, been a, it's been a lot on each other's shows these days, and, you know, it's been great. I, I, no complaints at all. I haven't gotten tired of you, so that's good. I hope you haven't gotten tired of me. And I'm happy to be here because this is one of them... You know, this is just the season. It was a season for prom on High School Slumber Party. It was like the graduation party season. And now we're in the summer blockbuster season. And Mike, you were just, along with Kyle Reinford, you were just on my episode for Spider-Man Homecoming as we prep for the opening, the big opening of Spider-Man Far From Home. And I'm excited to take a little pit stop here for Spider-Man 3. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when I stop Amazing. 
Ooh, yeah, well, that's coming into play right now, <laughs> the end of this sentence, but uh, like how many Spider-Man movies there have been? I remember there was a time when I was a young tyke and I thought there'd never be a Spider-Man movie ever in my lifetime. Uh, I've always been a huge fan. Like ever since I could read, I've had Spider-Man comics. I remember Spider-Man and his amazing friends he used to pal around with Iceman and Firestorm on Saturday mornings. Uh, lots of video games from like Atari all the way now to like PS4. Like Spider-Man has been very prevalent uh, in my life. But we are coming upon with Spider-Man: Far From Home. It's going to be the third Spider-Man two since the year two thousand one. <laughs> Like, it's crazy. Oh, make make sure to mention that on my show, because it's technically a third in a way. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Like, for no part three in the intro, I'm talking about Amazing Spider-Man, because after this, you know, Andrew Garfield took up the mantle, and they got as far as two in the Amazing series. And then there was that whole Sony email leak and eventual kind of uh, alliance with Marvel, and now, you know... Spidey's in the MCU, but, you know, you can't forget about these Sam Raimi movies. At least those first two were super strong. Spider-Man 3, we're here to talk about today, and uh, I'm very anxious to hear what you, Brian, have to say. And before we get started, what is sort of your history, not just with Spider-Man, but comic books in general? I don't really know that much about that side of you. Similar to wrestling, like, my uncle got me into comics. I can't say I'm, like, a huge comic fan in a sense that, like, I know all this information about it. But he had this, like, pretty decent collection of comics. And the ones that drew me in most were Iron Man and Spider-Man. And I've always been a big Spider-Man fan. But for me, for my generation, a lot of the comic book stuff came from the, and you mentioned one of them, but from the cartoon shows. I, you know, I loved watching those Saturday morning cartoon shows. There was like a later Spider-Man in the 90s that was really, really cool. I remember being enthralled by the whole Venom saga from that cartoon, from when Spider-Man... Look, this is where I don't know my comic exact dates or the names of them, but, you know, it started out with like the symbiote and he grows like all the arms. Each episode had different stages of his like transformation from Venom and then eventually like Venom's separation from him. So I was so excited for Spider-Man 3. I mean, first of all, I was excited for Spider-Man 1 because like you as a kid too, we were like being told that there'll never be a Spider-Man movie. We're like, you know, we get these like dumb Batman movies and it didn't seem like Spider-Man was going to be a possibility. And I just have such a strong connection to Spider-Man also because I'm born in Queens. My family's from Queens. Spider-Man is a New York City superhero, but not just a New York City superhero. He's a Queens superhero. I'm sure you know this, Mike, but I'm a Mets fan, and Spider-Man once got quote-unquote married at Shea Stadium, and it sold out the place. That's terrific. I've been watching quite a bit of Mets now lately because of my roommate. Go Queens. For specifically Spider-Man 3, this is one of the first movies, I believe I was in college, but it's one of the first movies I saw at the midnight showing. Ooh, In nice. Times Square, yeah. Wow, in Times Square, no less. Holy crap. That's awesome. That was still before they used to do, like, the day before releases for all films. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to see around this time, or maybe after, but I remember going to see, like, Transformers 1, the Simpsons movie, a couple back then, where now they show them at, like, 7 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, but you had to get there, yeah, at midnight. To be the first one to see it, it was, you had to do a true midnight showing. You could get in the theater at 11.45, and the film would screen at, like, 12.01. I missed that. There was, like, a cool element of that, because only the hardcores would be there. Yeah, you're right. I ended up starting going more for, like, the vibe than the movie at one point. 
right? Because I can't even tell you, like, the last time I went to a midnight screening, but I remember going to a bunch of them, and it wasn't always about what was playing. It was more about just the excitement, seeing it first. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a lot of stuff there from the cartoons to the Venom saga to, you know, the comic books. Like, when I first heard they were making a Spider-Man 3, I didn't know Venom was going to be anywhere in this, that the symbiote was going to be a part of it, that that would ever, you know, it just felt way too soon to me. I think we can thank producer Avi Arid, who sort of had a, let's just say like a vice grip on the balls of this franchise at one (laughs) point, you know, he was just, he kind of, you know, and he did, to his credit, he did get that first movie off the ground you know James Cameron had struggled to produce and develop a Spider-Man movie for a really long time in the early 90s a lot of his movie is in that first movie actually the organic web slingers as they're now referred to and when it came to this like I was just shocked when I saw for the first time online like some comic-con leaked footage of the black ooze dripping onto Eddie Brock and stuff I was just like oh no I actually was not I did not have a good feeling about this movie let's just say before it was coming out i I was also a big fan of like the black suit i guess as it were when Mm -hmm. i was first collecting it was during the original or was it the second secret wars crossover event where spider-man got his black suit on an alien planet during a battle for the universe between all of the (laughs) heroes you know and uh over time they like developed that into it being this alien being that was trying to take over his consciousness and his body and I remember you know before Todd McFarlane sort of came along and really stylized Venom into who he was it was just it was just sort of like a shadow of Spider-Man that Reed Richards was blasting with like a sonic weapon and you know like it was just it was so sort of unthreatening and it got turned into basically his arch nemesis like I always thought Green Goblin or something like that but nowadays like Venom has really taken the center stage to the point where he got his own movie last year yeah, Venom is kind of like a, a different generation's Spider-Man arch nemesis. To be clear, I did not think that we were going to get the Eddie Brock Venom in this. I knew Topher Grace was playing Eddie Brock. That much I knew. But I had figured that they would kind of take, for me, the cartoon angle, which was Spider-Man's going through all this changes in his body and like i said in the cartoon he, he developed extra limbs like to have all the spider limbs he was like what the hell's going on with me and then you know he had that classic struggle between like do i use this suit or not kind of thing he fights it and i thought maybe we would just get the tease for eddie brock because i think it needs to be made clear to your third times audience that when we were sitting down and watching this no one th- thought that this was like a trilogy ending. We just thought that this was the Spider-Man series continuing. This wasn't even originally designed to be an ending of a trilogy. So I figured that they were going to have like black suit Spider-Man and tease Venom as the big bad for the next film. I was thinking the same thing and that was the plan. Well, the plan wasn't for this to be the third and final one. They wanted to go on and do a part four. They were going to, you know, have the vulture come in in part four or something. And they had plans. And like I said, uh, somewhere along the line, Avi Arid came in and was like, you know what, like Venom, you know, if we don't do them, it's now or never. And I believe him and Sam Raimi had quite a rift and a real struggle to make this movie and it kind of feels that way on screen like it feels like a bunch of different ideas and movies thrown together in there but I I mean like that's the thing about him and we'll get to the like the movie proper but like the Venom 
storyline, the the symbiote, the that whole thing, it's very shoehorned in here. It doesn't absolutely it does not need to be here. It feels like it's getting, you know, not even B but maybe C storyline time and it's extremely rushed and yeah, it would have uh, serviced the franchise a lot better if it was teased at the next movie. You know, Eddie Brock had gained control of the suit and he was coming for Spider Man and, and MJ. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh I wrote shoehorned down so many times in my notes because so many things felt shoehorned into this film. Well, let's get started. There's so much more to talk about aside from Venom, but we'll get back to him. By the way, did you see that the new movie, the one that came out last year, the Venom movie? No, I did not. Oh, I actually recommend it. It's not that it's a great film, but it feels like it's the movie they should have made instead of Spider-Man 3. It feels like it's been sitting on the shelf since 2008. Like It has all the same kind of sensibilities of a superhero movie before the MCU as opposed to one trying to be part of like this collective connected universe or something. See, I like Venom because he's in the Spider-Man universe. And once they told me that this was not going to be connected to the Spider-Man universe, isn't that what they said about that Venom Mm -hmm. movie? Yeah, it's not. I kind of just lost interest, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll see it eventually as an independent project, but I wasn't like hyped up about it because it also like, who knows in movies these days, but for me it's like, did that delete Venom from the MCU? Or is there just going to be an MCU Venom? Most likely they will eventually get to that storyline. I was just saying, I I know we're not going to talk about Tom Holland too much today, but he's a kid, you know, so I assume they're going to have this guy a long time, so. That's what's so great. I mean, in my eyes, if they're grooming him to be the next Tony Stark in the MCU, you know, like Spider-Man eventually will grow up to become as you know, big and powerful as Iron Man, like he, I heard he's even willing to just sign like close to a lifelong contract with the Marvel Studios be like, yeah, I'll be Spider-Man for the rest of my life. I hope so. Just age with that character and then they can really, yeah, take their time and wait until he's like in his mid-20s or 30s having like a midlife crisis and then he can like run into the Venom suit and have it really, you know, mess with him and I think that would be more appropriate. And I know we mentioned this last week, but that's why I was happy that the Vulture was the first villain for the new franchise. Because, like, if he's a kid, don't give me Green Goblin right away, you know? Let him mature into it. Good call. Yeah, you take... Not that he's a second tier, but, like, Spider-Man has so many great rogues in his gallery that, like, it's hard... Like, even in this one, we're going to get Sandman. And, like, yes, Sandman, like, totally could have used his own movie and worked, you know, on his own and everything. But in the grand scheme of things, you're right, he's no Green Goblin. There's just seems to be a pecking order. There always is, and that's fine. You know, that's totally okay. Well, he's very connected to the Green Goblin. It's his best friend's father, you know? And eventually in this movie, his best friend, Harry, will don the mantle of Goblin 2. I don't know. He doesn't really get a name. No, he doesn't Extreme Goblin. He's certainly not the Hobgoblin. No, no. I'm glad that... I didn't know this about you, but I'm glad you're on the uptake with all of the Spider-Man lore, you know? that You've seen that 90s cartoon, at least, because they really did a good job of you know, adapting, like, years and years and years of, like, twisted mythologies that, you know, and storylines that didn't always line up correct. Okay, so Spider-Man 3, I don't have the DVD box. We don't really do this on my show. <laughs> Basically, what's going on is Spidey and MJ are together now. She's a big Broadway star. He wants to get engaged to her. But Harry Osborn is 
evil and knows that Spider-Man killed his dad or was involved with that. So they get into a big fight and Harry gets amnesia, which, oh boy, we're going to get into that. At the same time, Flint Marco has escaped from prison, stumbled upon some kind of particle accelerator in the middle of nowhere and gotten blasted into the Sandman. And he's trying to find money to cure his sick daughter's very rare illness. Eddie Brock is a new mild-mannered reporter who thinks that he's dating Gwen Stacy, who is shoehorned in here as well. Gwen Stacy. Unbelievable. Let's see. She has a crush on Peter. She sort of, like, gets him in trouble with his whole relationship. MJ dumps him. Uh, His life gets ruined. He turns to this black suit, which becomes a symbiote and sort of like a um, metaphor for his emotional state, which is very dark and and emo. Uh, (laughs) Becomes a complete and total dick. Harry gets his memory back and remembers that Peter killed his dad and he plays him against MJ. It's craziness. Eventually what happens, Eddie Brock gets the Venom suit, he teams up with Sandman, they kidnap MJ, there's a big CGI brawl somewhere in the middle of New York at a construction site. Oh boy, I'm running out of breath, Brian. (laughs) Harry comes back after that, my favorite scene in the movie, the fight between Harry and Dark Spider-Man where he gets half of his face Freddy Krueger. He comes back to save Spider-Man sacrifices himself ultimate sacrifice sandman sort of just like floats away in the wind venom is destroyed by spider-man using sound him and mj might live happily (laughs) ever after that's the end of the plot summary brian first impressions well first impressions so when i first actually walked out of the theater i actually enjoyed a lot of it but you know I, i even felt the shoehorn thing back then then you know you start reading the press so many people were disappointed I was even more disappointed, though, when they announced The Amazing Spider-Man. Because I still, despite, like, the bad taste in my mouth, I thought the first two were so strong. And, uh, by the way, I continue to feel that way, despite Tobey Maguire. I thought that, you know, they could have continued the story, and I was disappointed that they didn't. Count me as a fan of Kirsten Dunst as MJ. I like Kirsten Dunst. I do high school films. That probably makes sense, you know? Uh, The first one was legitimately a high school film. This one, though, again, it's just... There's too much in it. Like, the fact that it's like... It's like the producer had a list of things he wanted to see and didn't care how they got into the script, just as long as they were into the script. And that's disappointing. That start Not that it's this bad, but it really, that starts to remind me of, like, Batman and Robin. Yeah, I mean, well, this is something you see more and more often if you look for it in, especially big blockbuster films like this, when you get this far in a franchise, is just, it's the committee, right? Like, they're calling it a horse, and they're selling us a camel. They say it's Spider-Man 3, but really, it's like Spider-Man 3, 4, and a half. Like, there's so much going on here to the point where, for me, it becomes kind of incoherent, which is unfortunate because there's so much tact and care taken with the first two to do one villain, to grow the relationship between Peter and MJ and Harry, to sort of breathe in this world. And then here, everything feels like whiplash to me. So I have a hard time, and I had a hard time watching this in theaters. I didn't have that feeling, didn't have that Sam Raimi Spider-Man, here we go again. It, it, it felt forced. I mean, you have more history with Sam Raimi than I do. Like, the first Sam Raimi film I saw was Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> so, for me, I don't like... If I want to criticize the franchise, including this film, it's somewhere between... I think we've had this discussion off-air, how Christopher Nolan's Batmans are Christopher Nolan's Batmans. 
But the MCU films are don't belong to any director. They were still... I know it's not the same studio, but they were still feeling out what that meant in superhero movies at this time. And I think this is a clash between do we want to make this Sam Raimi Spider-Man or do we want to make this a Spider-Man franchise that can t- continue beyond this? And by doing both those things, they did none of those things and, and killed the franchise. Yeah, it's Sony's Spider-Man from this point on. Yes, and they don't even respect Raimi. I almost wish if they wanted to put Garfield, they just continued with four and recast him. Like, I don't mind when they do things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there was even talk of recasting Tobey Maguire after the first one with Jake Gyllenhaal, you know? And now oh, Gyllenhaal really? is going to be in Spider-Man Far From Home. And looking like a boss in that movie, too. Like, fitting in well in those trailers and that suit and everything. Yeah. Good for him. I know he's a guy who's... And again, we'll talk about this more on High School Slumber Party. But I know he's a guy who's always wanted to break his niche. And, you know, he took a bunch of action roles that did not do so well. Like Prince of Persia comes to mind, you know. I think he, in that film Nightcrawler, he really, like, kind of changed the perception of him. Yeah. Prisoners, I think, was another one. Yeah, and I'm so happy that he could do this. But, but you know, we're here for Spider-Man 3. We keep getting distracted by the outside Spider-Mans. I gotta tell you, like, at this point, too, I'm kind of done with Toby. Like, I could have used a recast, not with everybody, but, like, I don't mind that. Like, that's not a bad thing for me. Like, I think of Iron Man 2 when Don Cheadle walks in and he's like, I'm here, deal with it. Let's move on. And, you know, he's talking to Tony because he's like, I've showed up at your arraignment. But really, he's talking to the audience. And he's like, look, I've been recast. It's the same character. Just forget <laughs> forget about it, you know? Because you're right. Like, there's a lot left to do. Like, they've done so much so well. I don't, you know, one misstep in my eyes, one misstep with Spider-Man 3. It's not like they burned through all their material. It's not like there aren't more versions of Venom or other symbiotes that can come back. You know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff they could have continued with. Absolutely. And it's even a little more disappointing that when they did reboot it with Andrew Garfield, they didn't stick around high school at all. Like, he's out of there by the end of the first movie or the beginning of the second movie. And that's what's so great about, like, the new ones is that they're, they're really going to have him go through, like, four years of four movies, it seems, of high school for the four years they represent. Well, he's here for the long run, at the very least. But, see, a controversial opinion, maybe, but I didn't mind Tobey Maguire's early Peter Parker, like dorky high school Peter Parker. I think it reminded me of the comic book Peter Parker. I don't think he was that good of a Spider-Man, if that makes sense. It's weird because I never really took to the first suit. Like, I don't know. There was something There was something up with that. Oh, no, no. For sure. But that was something of the generation, right? Like X-Men, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But surprisingly enough, like, as much as I just don't like Tobey Maguire as an actor. I really didn't mind him as Peter Parker. It's strange. There's something like he does embody that dorkiness that like, you know, most people don't like Peter Parker, right? Because of whatever vibe he gives us until you get to know him. And then, oh, we love Spider-Man. I really got behind Toby in the first two movies, but here it just, I don't know. There's just too much of like a golly gee whiz sort of, he doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like he's present a lot of the time as, not as like an actor, but like as a character, like the character just feels off to me in this one. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Peter Parker. It feels like Spider-Man's out of the suit, you know, and not in a cool way either. There's just some, there's just like a weird imbalance. He failed to progress. You know, he failed to progress as a character and, you know, frankly, as an actor, at least from our eyes, with this role. I even feel like Kirsten Dunst as MJ progressed. And and I think even Harry progressed with despite, like, the material he's given. But 
it's Tommy Maguire. And, and on that note, if we're talking casting, I have no idea why they cast Topher Grace as Venom. Oh, I heard that he um, was just like a super fan and really just would have done anything. And I think he might have even lobbied for the role. It's because you never know how it's going to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's an opportunity. You try and take it if you can. I mean, I feel like everybody here is there's an open casting call for Spider-Man 3, Eddie Brock. Well, I look, I don't I don't blame Topher Grace for taking it. The depiction of him, right, how Eddie Brock in the comics is like some big buff bodybuilder dude, and here we get this scrawny sort of uh, mimic of Peter Parker clone kind of thing. And not just is he a mimic, but he looks so much like him. Dude, just cast him as Peter Parker. <laughs> Almost, right? Like, if you were from another country and you weren't too familiar with either of these people's work, you might get really confused if this is, like, the first Spider-Man you saw, like, of who's who, you know? They're so similar, like, similar builds, similar, like, mannerisms. It's it's weird. And it's something they really could have played off of, and you know, that they just don't have any time to do here. It's like, oh, like, here's this mirror version of myself, and he's a complete and total dick, and then I put on this suit, and I sort of become that, you know? Like, that's sort of what the suit does to him, right? It just makes him, like, super aggressive and, like, a real dick to most people. Eddie, Eddie is sort of that way in this movie. He's shown to be, like, a bother. Like, people just don't really like him that much, but... Did you ever watch the editor's cut of Spider-Man 3? Well, I was going to bring that up at the end of the show, but we can dive right in here if you'd like. Yeah, I watched that. Mm-hmm. For me, it's only it's only like marginally different or better. But if you notice in that one, they take like the Venom part a little bit more seriously. And it might just be the music. There's some extra footage as well. There's footage reintegrated not even like deleted scenes but just like also i feel like test footage and stuff and things that were never really supposed to be a scene in theaters but like since it's a blu-ray and it's the editor's cut like he can sort of cannibalize whatever material hasn't been seen yet but yes i will agree that they sort of crafted that scenario a lot better with peter in the suit and him being affected by they take it more seriously they tone down as much as they can sort of the goofiness of that of the entire movie i'd say with in the the editor's cut. To be clear, I don't hate this movie as much as some people do, but Jesus, the tone shifts are so hard to deal with. That club scene, I I know we're bouncing around, but like... Peter and MJ have have broken up and he's been seduced by the suit and he takes Gwen Stacy out to dinner at the jazz club that MJ is a singing waitress at now. He's there just to sabotage her and he has a fucking musical number. Like, what? Yeah, it's completely and totally ridiculous. And it's honestly not even funny. No, it's awkward, and it's not the only time that happens. There's also, you know, the now sort of parodied scene in Into the Spider-Verse, but there's the moment where Peter Parker is, like, walking down the street, and all, like, the ladies are, like, looking at him, and he starts dancing in the street, and he goes in, and he puts, like, a new suit on, and he comes out, and he's, like, doing, like, this 50s dance from the end of Greece and rolling his arms and doing, like, the Ronald (laughs) McDonald and shit. It's like, what the fuck is happening in the middle of this movie? I can't take any of this shit seriously. Seriously, there's no way. I was kind of checked out, though, to be honest. I was kind of checked out right after the early fight with Peter and Harry. Like, for me, the CGI, even back then, was just so distracting and and so all over the place. And, like, everyone just looked like a rubber band bouncing around that. I couldn't really tell what was happening. I couldn't... I was having trouble reading that scene. And then it ends with Harry getting amnesia, and I basically was in theaters, and I threw my arms up, and I was like, I'm not leaving, <laughs> but I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, what did you think of the Harry arc in general? I feel like the other two movies were teasing this. Well, I don't think they were teasing amnesia. Like, that's messed up. No, no, not amnesia, but in terms of his his turn. I think the movie would have been really good uh, if it was just Harry and Sandman. You know, and I think that was the initial plan, was just to have the main villain be Harry, and it seems like in an effort to kind of get him out of the way but keep him in the movie, they gave him this whole amnesia thing, and then at the very end when they needed him, they sort of reintegrated him into the movie the way he was originally, planned and it feels to me like his gaslighting that he does to Peter which is longer in the editor's cut he actually does it to MJ too right like he's like you're gonna do this for me or yeah I can't remember if, it, if it's in I forgot which cuts. is in which but yeah that whole thing seems to me like maybe that was supposed to be most of the movie was um, he'd be fighting Peter and Peter wouldn't know it was Harry as the goblin until the end and then they'd fight and Peter would beat him but Harry would sort of come to realize they need to team up to beat Sandman and they're friends after all you know what I'm getting at like I don't, I'm not trying to like rewrite this or anything I'm just trying to sort of make sense of what it could have been as much as I did not like the suit from the original Spider-Man, the Green Goblin suit, sorry. I mean, I did like Willem Dafoe's performance overall. I kind of agree with your take, though. I think that he maybe should have donned, like, that Green Goblin suit and just be, and Peter be like, oh my god, is the Green Goblin back kind of thing? Yeah, so, and then he could go... And then imagine him going to Harry and being like, someone's using the Goblin gear and Harry being like, oh no, like, we gotta figure out what's happening, buddy. Like, I'll help you, Pete. And then in the meantime, like, Harry's trying to, like, sabotage his relationship with MJ and they could still make omelets while doing the twist. I'm not saying you can't have that scene in the movie if you really want it, but you can write it in in a better way than Harry gets amnesia is who he is before the events of Spider-Man 1 and therefore super innocent. And then you can do whatever you want with him and not feel bad. He wasn't even, like you said, like before the events of Spider-Man 1, but he wasn't even like that guy. Like Harry was still like super, not super cool, but pretty like chill and as high school Harry. And this Harry was so like goofy after he got amnesia. Well, I mean, amnesia is a form of brain damage, right? So <laughs> I'm just trying to <laughs> just trying to figure it out, like because he comes back from the hospital and he's like he's like an infant, you know what I'm saying? Like he's very he's like really childlike, you know. It lasts what like 40 minutes of screen time or something. <laughs> like, it's 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 almost like looking at it now, thinking about it, it's it's almost too bad to get angry at. Yeah. And the more we talk about this, the more you're right. Like, how cool would it have been for just, like, a Venom tease at the end going into a Spider-Man 4? And then having, oh, Spider-Man 4 logo being the web dripping black and everything. They would have made so much money if they did not rush it. It doesn't matter how this movie would have turned out. If people got a tease and, like, a guarantee that Venom was coming in the next film. Got his own movie all to himself and everything. Like, it would have been insane. Not enough people, especially at the time, sure, a lot of people read the comics, but not enough quote-unquote mainstream people had read the comics or even watched the cartoon show. So they could have like done a cool, like the traditional, not him in space necessarily, I don't think they people had the palette for that yet until like the MCU started doing it with Thor, but they could have done like a true Venom solo storyline that would have just kicked ass. And what's even kind of crazy to me is that like, you know, I talk about how I don't really like the movie suit, but I like the way the black suit looks over the movie suit. Like, they didn't do the suit from the comic, right? Like, they just did a black version of 
his original suit and it actually kind of working for me mm-hmm. and i think you could even keep all the stuff with the black suit and it affecting his mind and what bo- what bothers me is how they stay so true to some things and they're willing to go so liberal with others like oh we don't need eddie brock to be the eddie brock from the comics but we need the symbiote to fall from the sky like why couldn't it have been created in a lab <laughs> and he just sort of stumbles into dr connor's office and like gets it on him or it gets home or it sneaks out of the college camp you know what i'm saying like that's the thing is like <clears throat> there's so many sort of tweaks you could do but we're coming from a more sophisticated point of view at this point especially in comic book movies you know in this day and age you bring up a good point too we never get our connor's payoff yeah, yeah, they tried to give it to us in The Amazing Spider-Man with, with the lizard again. A great character, and just, I don't even know what, I mean, we're, we're never really going to get to those movies, so I don't really have too much to say about that <laughs> first one. I thought the suit was cool. I like the direction they're trying to go. Ultimately, Spider-Man can't be that dark and that depressing, and I think that's part of this one, too, is it just, you know, the symbiote storyline, it gets dark, and it's hard to associate Spider-Man with being that evil, but yeah, how do you do that too when you have him like changing his hair and dancing in the street? I have it on in the background and it's like post Harry's amnesia. And I forgot about the scene where he's just like painting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in his apartment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like he's hanging out with Bernard, the 90 year old butler, and painting and like playing basketball in his mansion. I don't know, man. It's making omelets with MJ. Oh, and then. Honestly, I think, though, like, the first part of this movie is a lot stronger than a lot of the ending. And one of the things in the ending scenes I didn't like is, like, Bernard's whole, like, speech to Harry. Like, I've loved you. You know, I've seen these things happen. Your father killed himself kind of thing. Yeah, the big exposition dump where it's like, all this time I've been standing here silent, but I can't any longer. And <laughs> your father died by his own sword and Spider-Man tried to save us. Like, sh- what? Like, Harry was pretty much already going to go help him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really need that. Oh, so I wanted to mention this was really weird. MJ's, like, the beginning of, like, watching it this time, I was like, well, some of this is actually, like, playing pretty well from time to time. Like, some of this is working. Some of this is, like, coming together every couple minutes. But then... Like, right at the beginning, MJ's, like, singing this Broadway melody. Does any Broadway show ever start like that anymore? Like, it's so weird. It just felt like the sensibilities of, like, the 50s or 60s, not, like, the year 2007. Like, this just feels, like, really out of place. Like, I feel like MJ should be in, like, a David Mamet play. (laughs) I agree with that. MJ always, like, I want to be, like, Girl, your problem is probably not that, like, you're not good at what you're doing. Why do you keep trying out for these, like, old-fashioned plays? Like, even in the second one, she does, like, the importance of being earnest. Like, do something that's really, like, dark and heavy and off-Broadway. It's funny, because she's in these big Broadway productions, and then she can't book anything except, like, a singing jazz club. Do some off-Broadway. Write your own material, MJ. Go for, like, a movie uh, audition. You have a rich friend in Harry Osborne. I'm sure he would like lend you some money to put on a play. Oh, didn't Harry write a play? <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot when about he had that. amnesia or some shit. <laughs> oh my god, just do Harry's play. It'd be too funny. You know, at least MJ 
develops throughout this movie, right? Like, you know, unfortunately, for the most part, she has to be upset at Peter and dragged down because of his behavior and stuff. And, you know, she really doesn't have any recourse but to dump his ass because he's completely unattentive. There's even a line in this movie. She's like, Peter, like, you have no idea how I could possibly feel. And he's like, I know exactly how you feel. I'm Spider-Man. Like, people love me. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you have no, you just have no idea what you're doing in this relationship anymore. You guys are on such different planets at this point. And I feel like MJ is the one who's like, oh, like, we need to grow up and be adults. We can't all be Spider-Man, like, swinging through the city. Some of us need to pay the bills. And Peter's just like, I just got the key to the city. I'm Spider-Man. You know, I basically did that upside-down kiss that meant so much to us. I, I turned it into nothing. I made it meaningless in front of everybody's eyes. Like, I'm having a great time. So, like, I really feel for MJ in this movie a lot. I like MJ. I, I do. Oh, I was going to ask you quick, what did you think of the whole Uncle Ben Sandman storyline put in here? This is the worst. This is the worst. I wonder if this was the plan before Venom was put into the movie too. And if it was, it was a terrible idea because on a whole, it kind of cheapened Sandman on his own as a villain to have like a uh, crime of his own, you know? And they sort of retcon the first movie by saying, oh no, like, Peter messed up. He didn't get the right guy. He, you know, someone else like killed Uncle Ben. And then, so like, and third, what it does is it completely resets the character of Peter Parker back to like ground zero, back to the first movie in that state of mind of right when his uncle was killed. So emotionally, he's in the same place we've seen him before, right? And like, we were just talking about how MJ's growing and changing and developing. Like, this felt like a step backwards for me, for the character of Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I just hate when that happens, you know? Like, why they don't need to do that. Especially Spider-Man 2, which is really strong. They've already established him as a superhero. They, they should do things like Bond movies. Do I know not every Bond movie is great, but like, yeah, there's some callbacks. We have to conclude the Harry storyline. But let's move on to our next adventure, almost, you know? We don't need to tie in everything. It's, it's like the problem with solo or things like that like everybody's history is tied into everybody's history like it's not necessarily like needed with me you know at least like with solo you know we knew he had a history with uh lando and chewbacca and stuff right so like that's that's a you know a little different i think than saying we have uh, we have sandman we want him in our movie we have absolutely no way of connecting him organically to peter parker like we don't just want him to be this villain that he stops bank robberies for we need some kind of emotional connection between these two characters and you know we've used this word as word of the night but it's been shoehorned in like this is it literally feels like visually too when they do the flashback like it feels very poorly constructed and the sequence doesn't feel well thought out you know it just it just didn't work for me at all i just was pretty bummed and sand on a side note is really hard to do it with cgi especially at this time let's talk a little bit about the sandman who i think they could have done a much better job with if they didn't need to borrow some of that money for venom and some other stuff you know at the time this movie got toted for having one of like the greatest cgi shots in film to that point when sandman pulls himself back together as a person yeah and i was sitting there in theaters going like holy shit this looks incredible this is like amazing watching it now again maybe i'm jaded but like not nah, it just looked like the mummy to me again like all over you know it's just like more of that particle effect just 
little dots flying around. I was not into it. Well, I don't think at this point they understood if you integrate practical, even practical sand, it looks so much better. We've seen it now in like movies today that I don't know. I'm not going to say it's easier because I can't do it, but it's certainly something where I don't know. The sand actually looks like sand in the movies today when they, when they have to do a scene like this. And back then, I don't know. There's just. They got this effect. They're overusing it. I'm actually, though, I love Sideways, so I'm a fan of Thomas Hayden Church. And I think he's got, like, a great personality that maybe he was miscast or they underutilized him as an actor. But he kind of just felt blah to me. Like, he had a couple, like, deep scenes, yeah. But Thomas Hayden Church had just been nominated for Sideways. And that role is nothing like this role. And I feel like they just said, oh, this guy's a nomination. Let's cast him. And I kind of feel bad for him because, you know, I mean, he's done stuff here or there, but this was supposed to be like his big break. And he was given such a generic like storyline, like I'm doing this for my daughter, that he wasn't able to really show his range, especially his comedic range. I don't care if they went that like more comedic route with this film, not to the goofy level, you know, but I guess maybe you're right. Maybe we're just so used to how Marvel films are crafted today that I I feel like a Thomas Hayden Church in the MCU today would kind of fit in nicely. Here's the thing. He looks the part perfectly. And I think that's really all they cared about at this point was, can we make a toy with the actor that actually looks like the character from the cartoon? Okay, okay. But Mike, yes, but they don't care for Venom. That makes no sense. With Venom, I think for Avi Arid, it was whatever I can get. Whatever version I can get, it doesn't matter. I just I just want a version of him in that movie. Uh, he was really, I mean, that's just from everything I read, he was really pushing for that character to be there. When it comes down to Sandman, like, yeah, he looks really goofy when he's like blowing in the wind as a big sandstorm. And it's really dumb and not threatening. And it would have been better if the whole movie was more lighthearted. And they're not trying to go for more of a dark tone. But one of the, like, two scenes I quite like is when black suit Spider-Man and Sandman fight each other in the subway tunnels. Like, I don't love that they're falling through the subway tunnels in a terrible CGI orgy or anything like that. Um, but I do like the, like conceptually, I like the idea that like Sandman gets like washed away. And I think that looks really cool too, where he gets like all muddy mm-hmm. and, uh, and Spider-Man like at that point can start growing again in a direction. I mean, it's not going to be a fun or good direction for the rest of the movie. And he's going to make another abrupt right turn when he realizes the suit is controlling him. But at least he's like done something and he's off and he's like about to go grow. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. I, I do actually like that subway fight scene. It's just that end fight scene is so tough because they keep going back and forth kind of between them and then Harry that I kind of forgot about that subway fight scene, to be honest with you. Like for me, the scene that strikes the perfect tone in this movie is when Peter shows up in Harry's apartment and they duke it out and they start sort of teasing each other about how oh like I used to protect you from getting your ass kicked and now I'm gonna kick your ass and he's like bring it daddy's boy or whatever you know what I mean like it feels like a moment they could have built to and much better but like I still think it works in a lot of ways like it's got the tone right the balance of sort of threatening like these guys are gonna kill each other but they're also joking around while they're fighting. You know, like, it's almost like if the whole movie could have balanced itself like this sequence, I think it would have worked a hell of a lot better. I mean, look, I understand how hard that is to do, but again, I think that here we have an example of what could have been. Yeah, I think part of the biggest reason that this movie, you know, doesn't have the stay power as, like, as the other two in this franchise 
is that like you actually see a lot of potential in this film it's not like a complete dud it's just it just leaves you with that feeling of you know what could have been especially since it's the third and final installment i think they make another one and i think we kind of just like brush over and be like eh. as long as they like did well in the next one if it was crappy again we could we would start to see this as the downfall but who knows and obviously we saw sony won the battle mm-hmm. and they opted to just reboot it for me a big problem when they rebooted spider-man with the amazing spider-man series is they went back to square one and they tried to retell the origin and sort of put a different twist on it and now what i really liked about the mcu spider-man is we never get that origin story we, we hear bits and pieces but you know uncle Ben could be alive. There's no confirmation that he's dead. There's no confirmation on the whereabouts of Peter's parents. Like, there's all this mystery still surrounding all that. And I feel like in these movies, they're just, at least in the Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi series, like, none of that is even, they're never even ever going to think about bothering to mine any of that stuff yet so ultimately i don't know where they thought they could have gone after a fourth one like i think you're right like i think a fourth one would have been like all right we'll take it after this but really like i said earlier like this feels like three and four sort of like slammed together and completely unnecessary and ridiculous for them to do that they were on a roll and at Mm. the time Spider-Man 2 was pretty much considered like the greatest superhero movie ever made to a lot of people. I think, too, by rebooting it, you kind of took away from what you were able to accomplish in Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2. And they had to MCU reboot it, so I'm not blaming that one, but at the end of the day, The Amazing Spider-Man is going to be the most forgotten one of the entire series. They could have had Spider-Man already as Spider-Man in that and maybe even done it in the Christopher Nolan style since they wanted to go so dark and sort of flash back from time to time as to his childhood, how, you know, he became this orphan and got, well, at least had to go live with his aunt and uncle and then got his powers, you know, we could have done it in that Batman Begins structure if you wanted to uh, some way and that would have at least kept it fresh because like even when Batman Begins came out I was so sick and tired of seeing Batman's origin story at least it was told in flashbacks fractured in pieces and they went a little further with it into sort of manhood and stuff. I mean, that's, again, and I know we'll discuss this a little bit more in High School Slumber Party, but origin stories, you can't pretend that the movies right before you didn't happen even if they didn't happen in their universe. Most likely, people who were watching Homecoming had seen either The Amazing Spider-Man or this uh, version of Spider-Man. So you don't need to retell that story. I think where this trilogy benefited and ultimately suffered from is that it was the first. They relied on the story, which was a great story. But once they started to deviate from that story, they had no clue where to go and no clue how to handle it. Sam Raimi wanted to do one thing. The studio wanted to do something else. And the studio, I think, was clearly way too dependent on not necessarily the story, but the beats from the comic book. Gwen Stacy, Venom, as we said. Little things here or there. This is like one of the early examples of what they're calling now like fan service in these superhero films. You know, Venom here is the definition of fan service in this film. I think you nailed it. I think you hit the nail right on the head with that. It's that's exactly what I was trying to think of like this whole show, you know, as to like what is going on here and it's like, hey, this franchise is huge. We're listening to the fans, you know, we're at Comic-Con. We've got this huge following. It's Spider-Man and, you know, back then there weren't 
all that many other movies around. You know, Nolan's Batman was around and stuff, but still, it was just like, you know, we're one of the first, we're one of the best. What do you guys want? Try to please everybody at once, as opposed to, like, take their time and, like, all those suggestions and dole it out over a couple more movies. They're like, all right, you're getting it all at once, so open wide and shove it down your damn throat. (laughs) I hope you're ready. (laughs) Oh, and let's, you know, let's go even further capitalist with this. It wasn't even just about that. They said, and you alluded to it before, oh, if we put Venom in this movie, we can make Venom toys, we can make Venom t-shirts. We know Venom has sold in the past. Like, it was definitely a high-level marketing decision. You put Venom in this film, you're getting your cash right away. Well, according to them. But you're also kind of ruining it. Such such short-term thinking. And I'm not, I don't know if Sam Raimi's version would have been good either, but we, we'll never know. It's not the Sam Raimi cut, right? It's the editor's cut, so yeah. it's not like he was involved. But I'll tell you this much. I remember because this is the Blu-ray that I think it was the first Blu-ray I ever owned because it came with like a PlayStation 3 that I got. Oh, yeah. No, this was yeah. the Blu-ray that came with like the PlayStation 3s. I forgot about that. Because Sony, Sony PlayStation, Sony Blu-ray. Yeah. And so I remember listening to the audio commentary track at one time, some point in the last, you know, 12 years or something. And every time, like, the Venom stuff would come up, like, they'd change the subject or, like, they'd stop talking or they'd talk about something else. And, like, they really, like, it seems like Sam Raimi was making a concerted effort to not mention that stuff or try and dig up any dirt or like start any shit you know what it just like they were avoiding it as a topic on the audio commentary is what i recall oh wow yeah i mean again something i miss about the blu-rays and dvds that you don't get from the digital is that commentary and that's really really interesting actually well brian i mean you know it's spider season in the way that it was prom season and uh i'd say that we've webbed this one up pretty well unless oh well i guess hold on before i do that So the last thing we have to talk about here is the climax, the giant climactic battle at the construction site. Is there anything that you're dying to say about this that um, people who've watched this movie aren't already, you know, fully aware of how ridiculous it is? Worst part of it for me is like, what is with these, like the news footage telling us everything that's going on? We know that's MJ. We know who's making the web. It's not Spider-Man. Like, you have the reporter, like, we don't know what's going to happen here. This could be the end for Spider-Man. Really? Him fighting in a, in, a, in a tall building could be the end for him? Obviously, like, I think that was so cheap and stupid. And for, like, theoretically, this being the climax of the trilogy. Not that it isn't exciting or anything like that. There's a lot of exciting movies, but I was distracted by that BS. Like, for me, kidnapping MJ again is how I feel, like, again? Like, that was Spider-Man 1. Like, we're just repeating ourselves. Like, Spider-Man 2, what did we do there? Kidnapped MJ again, Doc Ock? Like, you kidnapped MJ too? It's like, can we, like, at least kidnap Gwen Stacy or something? Like, give her something? Or Aunt May! Kidnap Aunt May! Then I'm really shitting my pants. I'm like, oh my god, she might have a heart attack. Like, she's gonna break a hip. Like, something's, like, you know, in this movie, Aunt May is, like, pushing 80. She should not be suspended from a taxi cab by a web 100 feet in the air, you know, surrounded by Sandman and an alien. Then I'd be excited. But this is just the same old shit 
with worse special effects. Like, we're going to get enormous Sandman? Like, if you could always be so enormous, why don't you just do that and, like, crush a bank? Like, pull the roof off and grab all the money you need and fly away? On this watching is the first time that, like, I really thought about it. And I think that's why they picked the construction site, because there's just naturally a lot of sand there, so you can get to, like, kaiju size. So I think they purposely picked that area for that reason. They should have gone to Rockaway Beach the or beach, yeah. Coney Island or some <laughs> shit. How like great that. would that scene be? Coney Island, she'd like they're I, I know you don't like the kidnapping, but theoretically, uh, MJ's kidnapped on top of like the big Ferris wheel or the roller coaster on Coney Island. Yeah, they're fighting on the cyclone instead yeah. of in the stupid scaffolding. And he's taking up the beach up, you know? Like that's oh, cool. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. This is pretty lame. This just feels like too contained, too condensed for what should be sort of like a citywide battle. Like, that's how it feels. Like, it feels like Venom and Spider-Man should be swinging around the whole city, chasing each other. Like, they never really get a chance to meet until now. And Eddie Brock is just like, oh, by the way, I'm I'm Venom. And that Venom was so much more like Carnage to me. You know, like Carnage, that villain in the Spider-Man series. Like, Yeah, so he's like the, the red spawn of, of Venom, right? He's like Red Venom. Yeah, because Venom was, like, totally, like, still Eddie Brock, but, you know, Venomish. He was kind of like the Hulk, right? He was just pure anger all the time. Yes. I hate you, Parker. Yeah, and Carnage was more, like, that alien, like, crazy feel. And when he's, like, fighting him in the building, he's, like, totally, like, more Carnage-like. Yeah, he even looks like Cletus Cassidy more than he looks like Eddie Brock at that point, where he's got sort of the brow is sort of up, and he's got the fangs and stuff. Like, I don't mind, I don't really mind the design of, like, the thin movie Venom kind of look. Like, you know, it's not like they trashed it like they did to Deadpool and Wolverine Origins, right? It's not that bad. Uh, Like, there's a place for it, but this isn't the place for it. Like, this, wherever that place is, this isn't it. And it's it's too bad, because that's how I feel like, I feel like this is cool, like it could have worked. And that's what's so frustrating. Anything else you'd like to mention about Spider-Man 3? Let's see. Looking at my notes quick, I forgot Elizabeth Banks is in this franchise. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess that's it. That stuff's great. The stuff at the Daily Bugle. Always great with J.K. Simmons. Always great. There's a wild rumor that he's actually going to reprise his role in the MCU as J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about this one either. Um, You know, I sort of put this one off for a while because there is a novelization and I had intended to read the novelization for a while, but you know, folks, to be honest, the novelization to this crappy movie that I don't really enjoy too much is almost 400 pages and I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> like I just don't want to do that. And if you listen to the thousandth episode of the network, you will have heard that uh, I am suspending book club indefinitely. The show is about the movies or the video game or first and foremost, there's a, a certain form of media that that the episode is about and the novelization was always sort of a secondary sort of uh, extra segment and just you know because of time restraints at the moment I'm just not going to be able to read the novelization to every movie I want but who knows that does not mean that they may not be a special book club episode down the line for Spider-Man 3 uh, but it does mean I'm going to be getting to a lot of other better movies sooner than later perhaps you know some more famous franchises some more mainstream franchises perhaps than Poison Ivy so that's going to wrap it up over here Brian do you want to uh, give any shout outs or plugs or how do you want to say goodbye tonight well don't forget to check out last Friday's episode on Spider-Man Homecoming on my show High School Slumber Party where we look at 
high school films, and Spider-Man is one that I've looked into because Spider-Man is the high school superhero, you know? This Friday coming up, we are going to be talking Far From Home. It's going to be a fresh, hot take of Far From Home. So can't wait for that because it's just going to be a rapid reaction, which is a lot of times different than, like, the reaction after a couple weeks. Or We're not going to have a lot of uh, internet reactions to go off of, so... It's going to be fun. I'm really, really excited to do that one. I'm excited to see Far From Home after all this Spidey talk. My spider senses are going berserk, Mike. Likewise. I was looking forward to that, too. I know after seeing like a new MCU movie, I'm really like psyched up and ready to talk about it. So it should be a fun episode. Thanks for having me on that. And thanks for having me once again on Third Time's a Charm. Well, you are the unofficial co-host of the year <laughs> so far, so thank you. All right. Good night, Brian. Good night, Mike. to do it for Spider-Man 3. I have to thank my unofficial co-host Brian Slumber Party for coming by to take on this infamous comic book movie. Be sure to tune in this Friday to hear me over on High School Slumber Party along with the foodie Kyle as we discuss the all-new Spider-Man Far From Home. It's going to be webtastic. For all things Third Time's a Charm, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Over at the website cageclub.me, you can find all of the back episodes of this show and all the many, many, many shows on the network. You can also find links to our Patreon and Threadless sites where you can donate to the network if you want, or dress like us if you feel like it. Up to you. Find this show on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts live. Write to me at 3 at cageclub.me. That's T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. Tell me what part 3 is your favorite. Did you like Spider-Man 3? And if so, why? That's going to do it for this episode of Third Time's a Charm. So until next time, Excelsior, true believers. Three, that's a magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Three, Three they stubbing me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?